What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bolin. Scott, we're here in a new studio today. Yeah, brand new studio. might sound a little different, but uh, we'll get it back on track soon, I promise. Yeah, fortune favors the bold, we hope. Which brings us, by way of a hilariously short segue, to the subject of our podcast. Yeah, that's right. We've got a um, – this is a listener suggestion, mm-hmm. so I think we should get this out of the way first, is that um, uh, this one came from uh, – oh, this is cool. Sandy, but she goes by the name Fast Sandy. That's cool. Which yeah. is kind of cool. Yeah. And uh, Sandy's from the UK or um, a Samsung tablet. I'm not sure which. It's <laughs> sent, sent from my Samsung, Samsung tablet, so I didn't know if, you know. Sure. This were, is that a place? I think it's good not to make assumptions either way. Uh, it's probably the UK. Let's stay open-minded. If, if I had to guess, yeah. She does <laughs> say that uh, she drives 30,000 miles a year on the streets of the UK. Oh, there it is, on the there UK. There we go. And um, that makes her commute a breeze. That's what she says about our podcast, so that's nice. Oh, thank you. Had a couple of good suggestions. Oh, you know what? She mentioned uh, one thing that I want to uh, mention here also is um, she's talking about the dots and cars again. Oh, yeah. And uh, all, the, all the feedback we got from that. Uh, but she does say that wouldn't it be cool if the GTR was badged Datsun? That would be really cool. I, I think it would be, too. Instead I remember of, this email. Yeah. So if, instead of a Nissan GTR, that would be pretty cool. All right. So anyway, she didn't wasn't sure if we took suggestions, which we always take suggestions. We love right? them. And uh, she, had, you know, she had five suggestions here, Ben. And uh, one of them that I think we're going to uh, tackle right now is Donald Campbell at Coniston Water. Yes. Yep. Donald Campbell, a famous daredevil, uh, one of the – the first man, actually, in his time to set a land and water speed record in a single year. Yeah, that's pretty amazing, really. I mean, you know, to most of these guys focus on one area and do that really, really well. He yes. focused on two areas and mm-hmm. did both of them really, really well. I mean, he was able to accomplish in, what was it, 1964? Yes. Uh, he held, or 
he, he held the land speed record and the water speed record in the same year. That's it's incredible. Now, some people will point out, of course, that the land speed record he held, he only held for a few months. Okay. And that's because, you know, it's a very, very competitive record to hold. Yeah, that happens often where, you know, someone will go out the same day and yeah. break the re- break the record because, you know, there's many attempts made on the same day. So, But it wasn't, this case, it wasn't the case. I mean, he set the record and actually for it to hold for a few months – that's not really bad. At that time, especially not. And, you know, not to be crass, but it does remind me a little bit of the trick about the record for oldest living person. The turnover is just sort of high. Yeah, I'll say. No kidding. Uh, so Donald Campbell, born 13 March 1931. Mm-hmm. And he is not the first person in his family to uh, break world records. Yeah, this is pretty incredible. And when I when I heard the name... Donald Campbell, or when I read it in uh, in in Fast Sandy's email, uh-huh. um, I, I initially thought of this person, his father, uh, Sir Malcolm Campbell, uh, who was obviously knighted, um, but he was also a land speed record holder, a world land speed record holder, and um, also a water speed record holder. So he was, in addition to, you know. Uh, um, Donald Campbell, rather, mm-hmm. um, he was also, you know, the, on the same path, I guess. I mean, his son followed in his footsteps. I don't know. I'm kind of tripping up on my words here. But, no, it makes sense. Um, so he was he, actually, you know what? There's some, a couple of really interesting facts about Sir Malcolm Campbell. Um, well, first, he's a racing motorist. He's a journalist. Yep. Um, he held 13 world speed records in the 1920s and 1930s. That's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were both in cars and boats, like we had mentioned. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit of both. Um, he was actually, he was the first person to ever drive a car over 300 miles per hour. First person ever. And, um, also he, he raced on the uh, water in a, in a boat called the Bluebird K4, mm-hmm. which achieved about 141 miles per hour. And that's in 1939 at Coniston Water. Yes. August 19th, 1939 at Coniston Water, uh, Sir Campbell, Malcolm Campbell, that is, uh, sets the record. He goes 228.1 kilometers uh, an hour or 141.7, as you said, in the Bluebird. And interestingly enough, he names uh, his vessels Bluebird. This is a tradition that his son continues. We should also mention that Donald Campbell's full name is Donald Malcolm Campbell. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, um, you know, before we move on past this, I want to mention that have, have you – have you taken a look at some of the photos? Not not the photos that we have here of Donald's vehicles, but the photos of Sir Malcolm Campbell's cars. Oh man, they yeah. are amazing. They're beautiful. I mean, it's... when you consider it was the 1920s and 1930s uh-huh. that he's setting these records, and and for these vehicles to be produced then to be created then, they look nothing like the cars of the 1920s, 1930s. No, they're not the boxy, you know, the upright vehicles that you would think of. These are streamliners. Obviously, they're, I mean, they're traveling at 300 miles an hour. They're incredibly fast, but completely unlike anything you would expect out of the 1920s and 1930s. They're amazing cars, and they're long. They're huge vehicles. And we, we should also keep in mind, of course, that these vessels, both, both the Bluebirds uh, on the water and the land vessels, are built for a specific purpose, and mm-hmm. that purpose is only speed. Yep. Safety, even takes a backseat to speed. Yeah, exactly. Speed is speed is number one priority. And, you know, one, one last thing before we move on to Donald's yeah. story, because I feel we're covering too much of maybe uh, Malcolm here at okay, this point. Okay, yeah, but, yeah. But uh, Sir Malcolm is one of – I read this somewhere, and I, I don't remember where, but he's one of the very few land speed record holders or, or attempters, I guess, you know, the people that do this for a living, yeah. to actually die of natural causes. They said that he lived a full life 
You know, mm-hmm. he, he died at, I think it was, it was relatively young, 63 or 67 or something like that was his age right. at death. Um, but uh, he didn't die in some horrific crash or anything like that, which a lot of times happens to these guys, unfortunately. Yes. Uh, but they said he just, you know, lived out the rest of his life after his 13 world speed records and uh, had a peaceful ending. Not bad. Which is uh, a life well lived. Mm, I uh, would say so. So now that we have closed the chapter and, and on Malcolm Campbell and given some background, let's get into his son. Yeah, who was his son? The daredevil Donald Malcolm Campbell. He has so many world records under his belt. Yeah, he really did. Even yeah. even before 1964, which is one of his that, – that's one of his peak years where he breaks both the land and water speed. So a lot of these records are set at Coniston Water. He's also at Oldswater. He's at Lake Mead um, and Lake – Oh, gosh, don't get mad at me, Fast Sandy. Lake Dumbleyung? Uh, Close enough for me. Okay, so... So he's at Lake Mead here in the States. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Yep, yep. Okay. And uh, we can talk about his uh, family a little bit because his daughter mentions in a book that she writes, mm-hmm. uh, his daughter mentions that some of their only big family trips were going to these other places, oh. these... Testing grounds. Okay. Proving grounds. You and I had a little discussion about this before the podcast, and I think this is – why not let's just take the moment here and and talk about his family just a bit, okay? Let's take the cat out of the bag. So – Out of the bluebirds. Just to kind of wrap up his uh, his, uh, biography here, Mm -hmm. Um, he was married three times, had three wives, Daphne, Dorothy, and Tanya. Um, And Tanya was uh, his wife at the end there in 1967. Um, he did have one one kid, Gina, mm-hmm. uh, Gina Campbell, and she was also a world speed record attempter, at least. I don't know yeah. if she held one or not, but she was an attempter in vehicles that she also called Bluebird. Is that right? Yes, that okay. is correct. Now, you and I both kind of looked up a little bit of extra information about Gina just to see who she was, what she was up to, you know, because we're interested in that kind of thing beyond the story here. So we we did that, and we both came across the same article, apparently, because... We both had kind of a, a funny look on our face when the name came up. I think there's a, a bit of uh, – there's a lot of tension in that family. Yes, there is a bit of tension. You guys can find an article written about her online. Uh, it's an ex- It involves excerpts from a book that she wrote, her memoir, uh, recalling growing up with uh, Donald Campbell and the Bluebird, the, the ever-present quest for the speed record, and it – doesn't sound like it was the happiest childhood, Scott. No, I don't think so. I mean, it, it's it's one side of the story. We can't get his side of the story. That's at all. absolutely fair. But uh, you know, to, to to you know, just mention a little bit about what we read is that you know that she said that most of the traveling she did with her fa- father was was to you know to go to these destinations where there's going to be a world speed record attempt. Yeah. You know, whether it's on land or on water. Um, I think she felt that uh, – She said it was um, distant. And, yeah, and said uh, that the the boat was his main concern and she was number two. You know, the family was the second concern. Mm-hmm. And um, all right, well, you know what? Let's not go too far. But there yeah, seems, yeah. seems to be some, some conflict there. Not only is there conflict between Jean and her father, you know, the what she's saying now. Right. There's a little bit of a rub between the widow, Tanya, and Gina. And uh. this – this gets interesting here because, um, you know what, I'm going to have to just spill the beans now. I'm going to ask you a question, and you can tell me if you know the answer. You know, who was Mr. Wappet? 
The only reason that I'm going to guess this correctly, Scott, is because you gave me a little bit of a hint about this before we began recording. Fair enough. So right before we started rolling, Scott, uh, you and I usually compare notes, and you said, you got anything on this mascot? And I said, Uh "Uh, what? I I imagine Mr. Wappet is a mascot. Correct. Now, now, what what Mr. Wappet really is, is he was a teddy bear. That uh, that Donald Campbell carried with him during several of these world speed record attempts, ah, and this that's teddy bear, who's in the photos. Uh, yeah, Mr. Wappet makes it into a lot of photos with Donald Campbell, and in, in later in life, because Mr. Wappet was received when he was an adult. It's not like a childhood toy, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a whole story behind Mr. Wappet if you want to read about it. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting, and you can go to these historical photos of him in the cockpit of you know the the Bluebird K7 and see him with his little teddy bear with a red sweater on. It's really kind of interesting. It's a very small bear. Yeah. Um, Officially, officially, I don't know about officially. I say unofficially. <laughs> so the story goes. It is. Uh, this is the only teddy bear to hold four world water speed records. How about that? <laughs> That's pretty cool. Not bad, huh? So Not he carried bad. him. He carried him on many of these attempts, right? And he, he claimed he was he was a really superstitious guy. Donald was. And so was his father, apparently. I mean, I think that's a trait that was passed on to him. Um, but he would not drive unless Mr. Whopper was with him in the cockpit of the vehicle. Um, in fact, later, uh, that became one of his wife's main duties at the track or, or at the, the lake or wherever. Make sure that I get Mr. Wappet put in my hand as I enter the cockpit and I'm ready to close it up. So that was, was the, the last thing. handler. Exactly. That's the last thing that she did was hand him Mr. Wappet. Oh, wow. Um, so anyways, there's this interesting thing that now... I guess I'm not going to give anything away because we'll go into the final sure. run here. But yeah. you know, the, the story doesn't end well for Donald. Um, he has an accident on Coniston, you know, and that's what that's what goes on there. But uh, Tanya this, and Gina, the the day of, yeah, exactly the the day of the accident, Mister Wappet was found floating on the surface immediately after the wreck, and became property of Gina. Gina, Gina said, "This is you know, I, I want this, Mister Wappet, whatever, yeah. you know, whatever the the way all that was handed down." So. She also carried – I don't know if she carried him with him on a couple of her world speed record attempts or what, but she you know, kept the bear for a long time. And then in about 1995, along with some of Donald's other items, his possessions that she had inherited in some way, uh, she attempted to auction off Mr. Wappet. Ouch. Which I can't imagine. I, I, I – it almost brings tears to your eyes to think about something like that that was so precious to him yeah. and that was handed down to a daughter – who is also, you know, in that kind of line of work, maybe? I mean, wouldn't you? F- I would feel bad about even buying. Well, it, this you know? just threw the the widow Tanya into into fit. She was very, very upset about I this. Imagine I mean, she was livid. I would assume more so than, you know, just the stuff. Yeah. Um, and Mr. Wappet is, you know, part of that stuff, but this is a uh, very sentimental piece, right? And, um, you know, for for a long, long time, and I think that you know it never was auctioned off, Gina. Gina has Mr. Wappet in her possession, as far as I know right now. And there were a lot of reproductions made. And, you know, there's many of them that, you know, have like, you know, the little red sweater and the, the bluebird insignia that they mm-hmm. had later sewed onto his shirt, you know. And it was, it was, I mean, the original belongs to Gina still. And, uh, I think there's still, there's still that tension because of that, that time when she attempted to sell Mr. Wappet. Wow, man. I know. So that's, that's that, about all I have about, about that's Gina tough. and this tension and the family and all that. But there's this whole backstory going on yeah. that makes this whole thing really even more interesting. And one thing that we should go to, I, I'm kind of floored by that because why would you sell 
such a it's an ben, artifact at this point. Ben, I don't know. I mean, I I can't. I've thought about this over and over again. Are you since and I, I just discovered old softies. I, I guess maybe, but I mean, you know, like look at my kids. You know, like her favorite toy, or even I've got. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm even. I've got a I've got a a hand puppet from when I was a little kid. I yeah. used to love puppets, and I've got one that's tucked away in a sock drawer. My uh my my favorite one. Oh well, that's cool, man. And I could never ever imagine getting rid of it. It it will be willed to somebody, you know, at some point. Yeah, I'll make sure it doesn't get thrown away. Absolutely. See, I think we're on the same page here. Here's something. Speaking of artifacts, I've got uh, some cool information about the Bluebird K7. I think we should talk about this vehicle a little bit before we get into that fateful day on January fourth. So the Bluebird K7, as we've said, is uh, gets its name from. His father, who named the, who began naming things Bluebird, mm. and uh, it's a K7 designation. There, uh, it's active from 1955-1967. Interestingly enough, it's all metal. It's a jet-powered hydroplane. Awesome, which is James Bond level cool. Yeah. Now, Ben, 1955. I know. How incredible is that? I don't know if the. I mean, I wonder if the original engine in 1955 was a, was this jet engine. Mm-hmm. Or not? Maybe it was swapped out at some or if point. They put it in because it, this this boat became exceedingly faster. Now, 1955. Now it's sleek. I mean, it's a it's it's what it's like a three point hydroplane boat. It's really cool. Yeah, it produces a 3,500 pound force. Or oh my god, that's yeah. a, that's a lot of force. So for, that's for a that's boat. just thrust. So in, incredible. Yeah, the amount of thrust that it produces. Now in 1955, his speeds were around 200 miles per hour in this boat, which is ridiculously fast to begin yeah. with, right? Amazingly fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, by 1964, for his world speed record, 276.3 miles per hour. Now, that's that's a lot faster. I mean, to gain 76 miles yeah. per hour. And then, you know, of course, you know, when we get up to 67, he's, uh, he's pushing 300. Right, yes, uh, because around 66, he had decided that he needs to exceed the 300 mph mark or 483 kilometers on – What's funny is I, I do want to say that I wish uh, it I wish history had played this a little bit differently because while he, his father, and his family and all his friends and supporters uh, officially called the vehicle the Bluebird, uh, early reports compared it to a lobster. <laughs> did you read about <laughs> no, that? No, I, I did not. They called no. it a. He said it looks more like a blue lobster. Oh, that's something because I lo- I you know I really like I, I enjoy the three point hydroplane design. It it is such a Good design, I think. Well, you know, okay, this leads right into what I'm talking about. You okay. know, the current the current unlimited hydroplane boats, uh-huh. uh, the ones that race out on you know the rivers and lakes around here in the United States. I don't know if they race elsewhere. I'm not sure. Um, but like Miss Budweiser, I think everybody can relate to the image of Miss Budweiser on the lake. You know, the unlimited hydroplane. Right. You know, it's an incredible boat. Um, just for comparison. Uh, I read the top speed of Miss Budweiser, who, you know, I, I'm not sure the history of this, like where, you know, what point in history this was. It was recent, not, 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 you know, last summer or anything, but, okay. um, but not 1960. No, the, at a top speed run, that was, Miss Budweiser is reaching somewhere around 220 miles an hour, something like that. And, uh, the, the race speeds, you know, are, are estimated somewhere around 130, something like that, you know, just ballpark, you know, on the streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's fast. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But here's Bruce and uh, I'm sorry, Bruce. I said Bruce. Donald. Here's Donald. <laughs> in uh, 19 in 1955, 
doing 200 miles per hour in his uh, in his Bluebird K7. Yeah, yeah, that's a. Uh, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's where he breaks the limit in 1956. He's doing 225 miles, uh, a little bit over 225 miles per hour. So it's it's weird because again, it draws us back to these engineering points. You know that I would also imagine that Miss Budweiser has. Uh, is is light years beyond the Bluebird K7 mm-hmm. in terms of safety. Although Bluebird K7 does have some fascinating stuff here, um, it has uh, aluminum skin. It's uh, it's got multiple people, uh, multiple groups helping to build it. Uh, the Norris brother consulting engineers. Uh, so they said they needed something that's lightweight but can take a beating, essentially. So they were using aluminum back then. Now, I don't know how common it was back then to use aluminum. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't believe it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of an exotic material. It had right. to have been an expensive vehicle, obviously. Um, I know that some of the other cars, I've seen some of the, the uh, reports of like the cars that he drove were you know, in the million dollar, or a million, I should say million pound range. Mm-hmm. Uh, so slightly more than a million dollars. But um, again, the, the eras that we're talking about, you know, a million, a million pounds in 1960, what was that? Whoa, What's that valued at now? You know, pretty, yeah. pretty incredible. Um, Might be a little bit more than than we make. I would, think, <laughs> I would think quite a bit more. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, Scott, where shall we go here? Oh boy, this is this is where this is this is this is what. Uh, okay, maybe I need to uh, just kind of state it, start it by this, saying this. Okay. I was thinking this morning on the way in. I was, I was driving and I actually wrote this down on a piece of paper um, at a stoplight. You know, safe. Right, and uh, I wrote down at a red stop. I, I was thinking, like, what? What is it about this? <laughs> what? What is it about this? What? What is it about this story that makes it so interesting? Why is it? Why is it so fascinating? And there's there's only one answer that came to my mind. It's that the whole Donald Campbell story has this mythical quality about it. Oh no! Are you serious? If you are about to say what I think you're going to say, I don't know if we can still be friends. But I, go on. No, now I really want to hear. Well, okay. Here's my here's my uh, my my reasoning behind this. Okay. I've got I've got maybe three or four things, I, and I'll leave the last one off here because I noticed that it may give something away. But um, first of all, he's the son of a legend, right? I mean, he's the son of a man who is a, a land speed record holder, a world speed record holder, right? You're smiling like I'm reading your notes. Okay, you got pretty much the same thing. All right, he's got he's got himself. He's a he's matched. What his father's done, yes. right? He's he's always driven to achieve and to even surpass what his father's done, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this sort of father son conflict going on, right? And and both of them very well accomplished. I mean, both of them achieved what they had set out to do. Really, I mean, they were both extremely successful. They were both extraordinary, extraordinary yeah. gentlemen. Yes, that's right. And uh, and and not only that, and we're getting into what you know we're. He died while doing what he loved. I mean, he, while attempting to break his own record, it's a very noble mm-hmm. thing for him to be doing. And we'll um, talk about the specifics of that. He's, he's seen. He's he's seen as literally a British hero in yeah. many, by many people. And uh, and you know, although the story is old, you know, it's it happened that this day that we're going to talk about here happened in early 1967. Um, I feel that you know a lot of people to them. That was that was the the death of a hero. I mean, that was the the, mm-hmm. the death of a legend, and uh, it's something that they'll for, forever remember and pass on to their their you know their kids. Yes, is this is this what you were writing? About? I, I think so. I think I think let's let's leave it at that. I've got another little point here that I wrote down that I think we should just wait to the end. Um, uh, there's there's a certain amount of time that passes that I think is maybe one of the most fascinating 
yes. parts of the story. So let's get let's get into the final day, the final run, the, yeah. the, the okay. prep for it, maybe. Okay, yeah. So to prep for it, as we said, in 1966, Donald Campbell realizes that he needs to exceed that 300-mile-per-hour mark. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So on January 4th, 1967, he is setting out to do so. Well, what prep do you want to talk about? Well, you know, there were there were nine weeks of prep that led up to this. Right. That's and okay. um, and there were all kind of this, this whole time, this nine, entire nine weeks was like a bad omen, really. Yeah. Um, and him being so suspicious or I'm not suspicious. I mean, superstitious, superstitious. 
<laughs> probably suspicious at some point. Yeah. He, uh, he, he had, um, he had to have had a feeling that something's not right about this. I mean, just his mm-hmm. own, in his own gut. And, uh, I guess there were just technical failures one after the other. And, mm-hmm. uh, there was bad weather that plagued them. You know, they, they had to cancel certain, you know, dates that they were going to do this. And, right. um, it just wasn't working out right. But after this nine weeks, they finally got the go to, to do this thing. And it's, it's what? It's, it's like an early, I mean, it's like dawn on, mm-hmm. you know, January 4th, 1967. And a little bit about Connison Water. I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, just, no, not just at all. A little it, bit about the, it. The, the setting for this is like a, a I guess a place right near where the workshop had been. Yep. And they said this was like his backyard. Yeah. And it's, uh, so I think I may be wrong on this, but I believe that it's about, it's one of the third largest lakes in the Lake District mm-hmm. of the UK. It is, uh, about five miles long. It's about 183 feet deep, Ooh. I'm guessing. So, uh, That's deep water. The way that this, the way that this, um, Record is measured for anybody who's listened to some of our earlier podcasts about land speed records. You already know that there are very specific rules about how a record must be set. And if any of those rules is not met, then the record cannot be considered um, broken. Yeah. yeah, they're very fastidious about the way that it's 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 measured. They're very uh, very um, again fastidious about the way that you know you make two runs. Right. right, you make one run up the up the lake and one run right. back and down, a return leg, yep. opposite opposite uh, direction, um, and it has to be done within a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. There's a time limit, but it's not an unreasonable limit. I mean, it's not something that you know you got to hustle to turn around and do it. Yeah, um, and that kind of plays into this whole story too. The uh, the amount of time involved, um, he pushed it a little bit. Yeah, so nine weeks. Bad omens. And picture yourself, if you are a superstitious person, uh, seeing nine weeks of bad omens. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe you start to feel that there's something telling you not to do this, but you've spent your whole life preparing for this. Yeah, but now, I mean, in as far as all this goes, I mean, his first run of the day, tremendous success, right? Oh, yeah. The, the weather was good. Uh-huh. Uh, the water was extremely calm. It was, you know, glass mm-hmm. smooth. And uh, the first run of the day, I'm assuming Mr. Wappet was with him. Obviously, he was. <laughs> right. he, he was with him, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, first run was 297 miles per hour. Not bad. Not bad at all. Not I mean, 300, though. Now, on this, no, not 300, but um, this is where the problem happens. Uh, he attempted his second run when he's coming back the opposite direction. Yeah. He started out a little too soon. Um, he had time to wait for the uh, for the water to, to cool down a little bit because, you know, when you're you're – very disruptive. Yeah, you're screaming across the lake at, uh, you know, it's a long, narrow lake, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're screaming across this lake at th- nearly 300 miles an hour, you're going to make a lot of waves. And uh, those waves, you know, they bounce off the shore, they come back. You know, it's mm-hmm. just there's a lot of, of wave action happening. And from that first, you know, the, the first run where it's made in smooth water mm-hmm. to the second one where it's a bit choppy, uh, that's a dramatic difference in the way the boat handles. And he just quite simply, he just left a little too soon and the uh, and the wake or you know, the waves from his first run hadn't properly settled. Yeah, and this uh, one of the reasons that this is so important is because if you can check out a picture of the Bluebird, the way in which, or if you're familiar with these types of vehicles, the way in which this is built means that uh, it can have uh, instability problems. Uh, and a fairly easy. Yeah, one. yeah. It's, uh, if it if it catches any air beneath the boat, then it'll um, get ground effect. It, well, it becomes it becomes like a wing. Yeah, it's um, like a, a chronoplan. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Except it just goes straight up, and that's the yeah, problem. And that's that's, problem. that's exactly what happened here. Is that you know he's uh, on his second run, Ben. They, they had him clocked at over three hundred miles per hour. So he was he was achieving the you know the three hundred miles per hour plus speed that he was looking for. Right, and he I, I think it was even three hundred and eleven. It was in, uh, slightly in excess. Oh wow, that means that uh, you know what he would have he would uh, have broken he would have broken the three hundred mile. Uh, barrier for an average speed, if that's the case. I hadn't heard that 311. That's great. Well, the, uh, the, uh, one of the other things we realize here is that he had a water break at this point, too. That, mm. so he was able to, he was able to slow down. Um, but yeah, he was pushing it. You can, you can go online and there was a, an intercom, a radio device in the Bluebird. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can see some of this stuff. You can actually watch his, Return lag right now on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, it's very possible to to go in there and find the uh, the original film reel uh, from I don't know if, who was putting out the uh, the original. You know, it was like a newsreel. Yeah, that was released. You know, yeah. three or four minutes or whatever, but uh, very dramatic voiceover and you know, like the uh, everything surrounding the event, uh, which is kind of interesting. I mean, they show a sports car parked on the side of the road, which is an old like a Jaguar E type. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just the the kind of nice things you know, like him getting the boat ready and you know the Closing the cockpit and headed out. You know, it was kind of it was a, it was a nice news piece. Unfortunately, yeah. it had a terrible ending uh, because you know the, the the cameras were running when this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you mentioned, he was you know over 300 miles an hour, like 311. Um, and the front end just lifted up and he launched himself into the air. He got a bounce effect. Exactly, did a full flip and uh, just smacked the water really hard. The whole thing, mm-hmm. uh, the front end of the boat just disintegrated. And unfortunately, that was the end of Donald. Yeah, the boat cartwheeled across the water, yeah. and uh, this broke the K-7 um, where the pilot was sitting. Mm-hmm. And because of this, uh, you know, we believe that he was uh, killed instantly. Like he died on impact. Oh, they always say that. I, I uh, they say it. I sometimes believe it. Sometimes don't believe it. I, I, I hope. For his, you know, for him that that's what happened uh, because that would be horrible. So, as he said, Mr. Wapit was found uh, along with some of the flotsam or the floating debris and they found his helmet as well. Uh, They did make efforts to find the vehicle and to find the body. Hmm. But as we know, uh, the Donald Campbell... His remains uh, and his Bluebird K7 remained uh, in Coniston Water until quite a while, 2001. Yeah, 2001. Now, this is incredible. This I, I cannot believe that when I read this story, this is maybe the, the icing on the cake as far as like this mythical uh, right. story that I was mentioning. His remains and the, the vessel mm-hmm. remained underwater in the exact spot that they landed on that day in, in 1967 for 34 plus years. And the, I, I can't, the Navy found, uh, the wreckage. I believe they located it, but they didn't take it out. Yeah, it was a, it, it was on a, oh, I didn't know that. It's, um, That's what, I, I know that the, there was a salvage effort and we'll talk about that in a minute, but, um, for, I, I just, I scratch my head every time I think about this. Why would that remain underwater and, and the, why would the body remain there yeah. for 34 plus years and, I just couldn't get it through my head. It's almost like he became part of the lake. It's like his, his yeah. legend. He 
he himself became part of the Coniston Water legend. It's it's really really strange. I and mean, they couldn't. I I know that they couldn't find the body at all for thirty years. Too. Yeah, yeah. It was found away from the. It was oddly enough, the 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 vehicle was found in. Uh, I think it was like in March of what? March of two thousand one. Is that right? Yeah. The body was found in May of 2001, not near where the boat was. Right. So this is really odd to me. And they found, mm. I mean, they know, they, they knew it was him. He was in his blue overalls, mm. uh, the body was. Um, and they had to do testing to find out, you know, make sure. It took a number number of months to find out, you know, if it truly was him. There right. Was, it was widely assumed that it was just be, based on what he's wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, but what an odd story. And, you know, Ben, this is another little twist to this, maybe two more twists to this. Shamal on um, me. Uh, <laughs> okay. There were there were originally claims that he had committed suicide. Yes. Yeah. Now, how, how strange. Now these are not in any way. I, I don't think these are really entertained today. No. No. And I think they were niche, and they were also quickly shut down by the family. Right. Because this uh, it's interesting. Uh, in not to get too off topic here but there have been some um there have been some people who have faked their deaths with some success notably mm-hmm. i believe i may be getting this wrong there's a guy named lord lucan l u c a n who faked his death yes. right correct and it's kind of it's kind of thought that he did successfully do so so it's not necessarily unprecedented but donald campbell's um, unfortunate accident occurred before the Lucan incident, and um, the main the main driving factor for this whole suicide idea, these rumors, was that the body was not recovered. Hmm. And of okay. course, now the family is vindicated because the body was recovered. Exactly. There was no faked death. Yeah, and there was also, you know, we mentioned the family turmoil before. Um, there was some his sister in particular was outraged that they even looked for his body. Uh, she had, she had said, you know, like I had mentioned that, you know, he had, he had become part of that lake. It was, that was his final resting place. Why not just leave him alone? That was her, her thought behind the whole thing. And, and I think a lot of people will probably agree, uh, that, you know, there's something to that. There's something that, you know, there's this, this idea that he died, you know, in this heroic fashion mm-hmm. on this day, and it was part of this big history, you know, this history that was filmed, and he had broken the record on that day, or he was attempting to break his own record, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Leave him alone. And I think there's some validity to that. Of course, I would be much more comfortable with that sort of idea if it was something that he was on record saying yeah, beforehand. True. Well, but who knew? I mean, yeah, I who, mean who, who would who would you know, say that ahead of time. Who would even ask that? Yeah, I mean, so he, anyways, his sister, that's how she gets into this. She was outraged by this whole thing. Okay. But, uh, but, okay. So that's one twist. One twist. The second twist. Now, why, I'm, I'm going to just put this out there, and I think I think everybody will know the answer immediately. Why didn't we hear more about this? Because, you know, the, here's the uh, the recovery and, and then subsequent burial of a, a British legend, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, there may be some – there's a good reason why we didn't necessarily hear about the burial. The burial happened on September 12th, 2001. Oh, So wow. it was overshadowed by what was happening here in the States, uh-huh. uh, the terrorist attacks, and, and there's no chance of that message getting out to anybody other than, you know, whoever was there attending that event, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, maybe there might have been a small news story, but the eyes of the world were not focused on something like this at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I find that kind of unfortunate. I find that, you know, the, the timing of that unfortunate, that, you know, if it had been a month earlier, 
we probably would have heard a little something more about this. However, we do have some good news. Now, you guys uh, who have been our longtime listeners, first, thank you for sticking with us. Secondly, you know that no matter what kind of stuff we cover, we do try to go toward a good note at the end. Exactly. We don't want you to be scooting into listener mail feeling down in the dumps. You <laughs> no, know? no, not at all. Uh, no. So, okay, so we've so got some good news. Something happy. Yeah, some happy stuff. Uh, first, there is the resurrection of the Bluebird K7. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was brought to the surface, as we mentioned. Mm-hmm. They found it in, uh, was it 2001? March 2001. March 2001. Now, it was a four-year operation, Ben, to bring this thing to the surface. And I, I mean... The end of it was actually bringing the boat up. The rest of it was planning and, and locating it. And there's it. A, there was a lot of work to be done. Yeah, because it was in, I think they said 40 meters of water. Yeah. Uh, so that's about 130 feet deep. Not the, not the deepest point in the lake, but um, that's pretty deep. And yeah. uh, I I, again, I don't know why they hadn't tried this beforehand. I, I don't know why they didn't just go get it immediately. But Well, there might have been some prohibitive expense, too. And then, of course, maybe the family didn't want to be... Involved with this, but um, could be. But you said it's being restored. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have we have learned. Uh, you and I both have learned that it is being restored with the aim of eventually becoming an exhibit at the Ruskin Museum, uh, which is a museum in the area. It's in Coniston. Yes, donated by the uh, surviving daughter Gina Campbell mm-hmm. in uh, 2006. She uh, formally. Um, gifted the Bluebird K7 to the museum, and the idea was to organize the restora- the ongoing restoration of the boat. At that time, it was ongoing, and to create an exhibit. Now, uh, Ruskin Museum already does have a uh, Donald Campbell Bluebird exhibit. Um, this, however, would be the K7 itself. The the authentic. The real, real one, the real K seven, yeah, and it's a it's a long process. Um, there's a there's a website that people can go to if they want to watch some of the progress. Now, I looked at it today. It doesn't look like it's been updated. I don't think that it has. I think there's okay. some some old information there, so you can go see at least where they stand at that point. Right. Um. At it's www.bluebirdproject.com. Mm-hmm. Again, it's bluebirdproject.com. And there's some great information on there, although, as we said, it hasn't been updated. And I, and you can see the original photos of when the boat was pulled out of the water. Oh, man. You can see it was yeah. just horrific. And you can also see the um, you know the progress that they've made because they're taking it piece by piece, straightening the metal, shaping the metal. They're, they're cleaning. There's a lot of cleaning to do because it's, you know, it's covered with, uh, with rust and scale and things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one other thing, real quick. Um, that's not the only museum that has a bluebird exhibit. Uh, there is another exhibit in the area. Um, let's see, where is this? This is at the Lakeland Motor Museum. They have replicas. Ah, uh, yep. Now they have a lot of replicas, but there's a there's like an entire wing or or an exhibit in this museum where you can see some of the uh, some of the the original Bluebird car. Well, actually, replicas of the original Bluebird cars. Um, they have a 1935 Bluebird car that Sir Malcolm Campbell drove. Cool. So Donald's father. Um, a replica of the 1939 Bluebird K4 boat. And they also have a replica of the um, of the K7, in addition to the one that's uh, up at the Ruskin Museum. These, that's beautiful. So, man. so there's a lot of replicas out there that you can spot. But um, again, look out in the near future at the Ruskin Museum for the original. Yeah, uh, they're they've been raising money because they're not just going to put the K7 in the in the existing exhibit. Uh, there's a Bluebird Wing extension to the museum mm-hmm. that uh, that. 
according to my sources, uh, is still underway. I'm not completely sure. I have a question. What's your question? Do you think that they're going to actually try to get this thing running and out on the lake again? You know, I wondered. Um, I don't. I don't know because, in some ways, there are arguments for and against it, mm-hmm. and I think it all will depend on the um, Campbell Heritage Trust and what the what the um, family members of the estate want to do. But if they're putting it in the museum, then I doubt they would do it more than maybe once or twice. Mm-hmm. I would like to see it. I also wonder would uh, would the original, the true Mister Wappet, uh, be displayed with the, the original true K seven? Oh gosh, I that don't would know. seem fitting. That would seem fitting, but that's, that's, that's also to, very personal. You it's know? up to Gina. It's up to Gina Campbell. Yeah. Now you got anything else? No, I do not. No. I have. This is why I said that we might not be friends because when we were looking into this, it hit me. To get a, a a little bit overly poetic, I guess, I promise you, and I promise you, Casey, that's our producer, that I'm not going to be reading any poetry or anything. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but this reminds me of the story of Icarus. You know what? You're right. Because uh, like Icarus, he, he flew too high, too far, perhaps. That was the uh, the smiling one I mentioned. The, yeah, uh, the I mythic. totally thought you were going to steal by Icarus. No, Icarus. no, I did not. But uh, well, you're right. Because you know, uh, in this in this comparison, Donald Campbell would be Icarus. Malcolm Campbell would be Icarus's father, Daedalus. And Daedalus, as we know, you know, there's some weird, interesting analogies. And I think that I I, w- I was thinking about this, and that's when it hit me the sort of the same realization you had. There's a real life heroism, a sort of mythic quality to this, and that's one of the reasons to fast Sandy uh, that we. We're so into the idea of of covering this and the amazing the amazing K seven. Yeah, it's a fantastic story, and I'll tell you, I I got really sucked into looking at the vehicles, and we didn't even talk about the uh, the land speed record <laughs> no, vehicles, but they're didn't. they're amazing as well. And yeah. he and Donald he survived a horrific crash on the Bonneville Salt Flats in 1960 in uh, in one of these cars that's been restored. Um, in the the uh, Bluebird Proteus CN7, and uh, look that up if you get a chance. It's it's another. There's another whole story that goes goes along with that. Another mm-hmm. story, and um, I mean, we're talking like a crash at like 250 to 350 miles an hour, and he walked away from it with with Mr. Wappet. Well, yeah, well, that's he his, was he was there. That's his co-pilot. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, it's it's really. It's incredible, and the cars. When you look at them, you'll you'll never guess that they're from the era that they were from. They look so they're ahead of their time. They look way advanced, and are, uh, yeah, they're beautiful. They really and are. I I think that it is worth people's time. I I'd, I'd love it um, if we could. Maybe we'll post a gallery that people can check out on um, on our social media stuff, which we still do. And now on to something different, Scott. If you uh, if you think I don't know, that's what I've got about Coniston Water, right? Yeah, now. you know what I do too, and uh, I appreciate Sandy writing in and and you know giving us the idea to to further investigate this because I I didn't know much about it. I knew of the characters involved, but right. I didn't know any of the story, the backstory. Of course, you know it's really really interesting. So and there's more than what we're even getting yeah. to here. This, this is like a 101 course. We're, we're scratching the surface, yeah. yeah. So uh, take a look at some of the information. You know what else is kind of interesting? What's that? This audio book that I found. 
Oh, yes, that's right, from yeah. audible.com. Yeah, you know what? And this is a cool one, too, because this one ties in something else that we talked about in the past. And uh, stick with me. I promise this is a cool one. It's called Full Throttle, The Life and Fast Times of NASCAR Legend Curtis Turner. Now, I don't know if Curtis Turner is going to uh, to spark any memories of, you know, of anything that we've talked about in the past. However, if I say that, you remember that, uh, remember Smokey Eunuch? The, uh, yeah. the, the kind of the, the rule bending NASCAR team owner. Um, Smokey Eunuch was the head of the team that Curtis, Tur- Curtis Turner drove for in 1967. Turner's car was that unusually, uh, modified Chevelle that, oh, uh, that they thought yeah. was like, you know, the rumors are that it was like a seven eighth scale model and yeah. it was like all these different <laughs> things like, you know, but he had just completely modified the vehicle. It was totally illegal. Yeah. Um, yeah. as far as NASCAR's banned from the 1967 Daytona 500. Anyways, Turner, Curtis Turner was the cat that was the driver of that thing. <laughs> and, uh, so you can imagine what went along with this. They say that, and, and this is kind of like a story of his life. Now, the guy died kind of young. He died um, at age 46, and he actually died in uh, in a plane crash in 1970 with oh. a professional golfer, oh. um, Clarence King, who died in the same wreck. Because uh, Turner was a was a um, amateur pilot, so he was mm. flying his own plane. You can imagine what that was like. This guy was a cowboy, um, but he was really what they call they called him the first NASCAR celebrity. Because he oh, had this, nice. he had this like this outrageous, uh, spontaneous personality. Larger that than life, kind really. Of. Yeah, he was he was like the first guy in NASCAR that was like that. I mean, there were some characters there, but this was like the first celebrity. Mm-hmm. And you know, as they as they are now, you know, kind of larger than life. You know, big. Uh, yeah, uh, tall tales really are made of of guys like this. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose Glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility.
Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You want to do some listener mail? Why not? All right, Scott, I'm going to uh, read an email that is going to be new to our listeners, uh, but old news to you and I, because you responded to this one. All right. So Tracy writes in to say, uh, Tracy writes in from an iPhone, the land of iPhone, to say, Greetings, Scott and Ben. I drive a gasoline tanker and am writing to chime in on a couple of topics that are in my area of expertise. A runaway diesel engine. Ah, remember this? Oh, boy can be brought to heel in the following ways. If the vehicle is parked and has a properly functioning clutch brake, the truck can be put into gear, the brakes applied hard, and the clutch released to stall the engine. If traveling down the highway, a runaway diesel engine will not produce much power without the assistance of the accelerator. So leave it in gear and apply the brakes until you stop. As long as you do not press the clutch, this will stall the engine as well. And here's where he talks about something that was really interesting to me, um, because there's an old tall tale in my my family's old home. Uh, as far as the old miser who owned the gas station with only one tank in the ground but two different pumps, it's not uncommon for my customers to have one large tank that is partitioned internally into two smaller tanks. It looks like one big tank, but it holds two discrete products. Um, and you guys sure help pass the time spent behind the wheel. Well, Tracy, I want to say, I, I didn't write an email back to him, but Scott, you wrote an excellent email back to him. I wanted to say that I really appreciate that explanation about a partitioned gas tank. Yeah. Because finally, I, I feel like I've been doing such an injustice. <laughs> I think to we, this guy. we had, I'm trying to think back because that was a long time ago. That I was think a we had really determined long. that it was somehow mixed at the pump. Right, right. And that could be an option, but it's also partitioned in the tank. Um, and, and didn't he also mention don't buy mid-grade, it's a ripoff? <laughs> but he said don't – oh, oh, you know what? said don't quote me on that. Yeah. And I just did. <laughs> I apologize. No, we anonymously quoted someone. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's Sorry. okay, right? Yeah. Let's just tell ourselves Let's that. call that listener T. <laughs> Very good. How about that? Um, speaking of T, um, for – Tom at Twitter, uh, this guy wrote something funny. Uh, it's a tweet, so it's really short. And he said, just listen to you talk about brake failure and what to do. You didn't mention opening your windows. It gives you more drag. Oh. <laughs> and I wrote back to him. I said, oh, we're going to have to read that one on air. So thanks to Tom. Just like sticking your hands out the windows, right? Well, yeah. Air you got to flap. Of course. You got to flap. Of course. Flap. So thanks to Tom and Tracy and, of course, uh, Fast Sandy. Remember when we were doing nicknames, Scott? I do. Yeah, we've got many, many of them. We've got some really good ones. Gathered over the years. Yeah. So um, we're always in the market for those. If you guys, we hope that you guys enjoyed our episode. If you want to uh, write to us with some suggestions for upcoming topics, uh, a little more information about Campbell and Coniston Water, or just to say hey and give us nicknames.
things, then you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. And, of course, you can send us an email at carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.